uh, after service, you know, we'll be hanging out a little bit and feel free to get to know him. We have uh, Chase and Alyssa. Chase was on guitar and, and his wife Alyssa with us. We have Caleb and Crystal with us as well and uh, Brandon and April Hicks. Uh, we had uh, April up here leading worship. She's on our worship team down there. And um, what an honor and a blessing for them to come up from a completely different location, two and a half hours away, to drive up, uh, give their entire weekend because it's, they didn't just drive up this morning. You know, we got here yesterday, had some sound checks, and, um, you know, gave up their Saturday and Sunday. We've got kids. We've got two that are, have kids on the way. Stay away from my wife. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, there's an epidemic going on down there right now that, um, uh, you know, we, we don't need any of that right now. We got our hands full. Amen. There you go, right there. I do want to say this. Uh, it is Memorial Weekend in honor of those. Uh, do we have, I know that we do, we have military veterans, those have served. If you would just stand up just for a quick second. We want to take a moment to honor you guys. If we could, just give them a hand clap. Amen. Awesome. Both Marines, I believe. That's awesome. Um, you know, this is, a, this is a very important weekend. Um, you know, the things that we treasure in this nation, uh, the things that we hold dear to, uh, they come at a price. Um, that's with any nation. The kingdom of God is the same way. There are many that have paid a price for the freedoms and the and the uh, the the things that we enjoy. In fact, this is also Pentecost weekend. Uh, this is when Jesus uh, decided to put His Holy Spirit. God sent His Holy Spirit to live inside of us, so we could do everything that Jesus did. Uh, that's pretty remarkable. Um, and there was a price that was paid. You read through the Book of Acts. There were many apostles, many disciples that paid it very large price, that's because there's a kingdom there, there's a government, there's a nation that's taking place, and uh, any time a government treasures what they have and they want to keep it safe, there's a price to pay. Uh, my dad is also a, a military veteran, so this is you know, a weekend that we always treasure as well. Um, usually get into SeaWorld for free and those type of things, so <laughs> there's a, the price comes with a reward as well. But uh, we just want to take a moment to honor you guys. Uh, we appreciate everything you have done for us. We um, are in the middle of a series, Action Heroes, Living by Faith. We're talking about living by faith. Just a quick recap. Um, we are in our third week today. And have you been getting something out of this? Amen. Uh, the first week we looked at uh, the life of faith, living by faith. And uh, in Romans chapter 1, Paul said that the just or the righteous will live by faith. And we saw that that live by actually means make a living off of. In the kingdom of God, as a citizen of the kingdom, you have no place without faith. We already know that you can't even be saved without faith. Uh, it takes faith to believe in God. It takes faith to believe in a kingdom that you cannot see. And um, so faith is how we make our living. Uh, just as in the natural, you all have occupations, you're Farmers, electricians, uh, whatever you do, preschool workers, whatever you do to make a living in the natural, it's the same way in the kingdom of God, in the supernatural. That's how you make a living. If you are not applying faith, you're not putting anything on the table. Let's go ahead and get that clear. If we're not living by faith on a daily basis, then we're not operating in the kingdom. 
so we looked at that the first week. Last week we took a look at making faith complete, a flair for the dramatic we talked about last week. And we saw that faith is incomplete, is dead. Faith without works is dead. So there's a whole other half of faith. If I only talk to you about faith on the level of believing, knowing in your heart, you know, thinking in your head, that's only going to get you so far. We said this last week that somebody on the outside should know that you're believing in faith for something without you ever opening your mouth. If you believe in God for a house, there should be some kind of evidence. You should be driving through neighborhoods. It should be all that you talk about. Um, I know there's a family in our church right now that's believing God for a house, and they both have the picture of it on their phones. Everywhere they go, every time they look at their phone, they see that house. That's an act of faith. Because in the natural, there's walls there, there's limitations that say, you can't get this house. You're not qualified, you're not approved, we can't do this, we can't do that. But we know that the supernatural is to change the natural. And when we made this statement the first week, we said, faith does not create anything. A lot of times we think about faith, and we think about, I need, I, I, I'm sick in my body, I need faith for healing, so poof, there's healing. No, healing has already been made available to us. It's in another realm. Faith does not create anything. Faith moves things from the supernatural to the natural. Remember Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he said that we do not walk by sight, we walk by faith. And he said that the things in this scene are temporary. Now obviously we know the temporary means that one day we'll all pass away, but he also meant this, that right now the things that are in the scene realm are subject to change. Which means that it, it, what we see today in the natural can be changed, but it's only if we move something from the supernatural. This is what faith does. This is what a life of faith does for a kingdom citizen. See, if we operate according to a kingdom that we cannot see, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that the Lord's will, God's will in heaven is to be done on the earth. That means we're supposed to make this place look like that place. And we got a lot of teaching in a lot of churches that are just setting people up for going to that place. But this church is to set you up to get this place to look like that place. Because that is what Jesus commanded us to do. Jesus the man prepared us for heaven. But Jesus the word prepared us for the earth. And Jesus was the Word way before He was a man. He was a man for 33 years of His life. But He was in the beginning before there was a beginning. He created beginning. He was the B before the beginning. He was already there with God. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Then verse 14 says that the Word came to this earth, became flesh, and dwelt among us. A lot of times we look at Jesus and say, yeah, the man Jesus that walked around on the earth, he had 12 disciples that followed him around everywhere, uh, you know, and they eventually crucified him. But that was 33 years. That's a small sliver of who Jesus really is. And the man came, died on the cross, so we could have access to heaven, but access to heaven is getting it here. That's why you have access to heaven. So we, we, we don't want to waste this thing. Because uh, there's no faith to just live in the, in the now. Because that's, that's all you're doing, is you're just looking at what you have, the resources that are available. 
faith is always, faith has to look at something that's not there. Otherwise, it's not faith. If I'm believing for, if I'm believing God for a car, that means I don't have it. I cannot say, well, man, I'm believing God for a new car and I drive it around everywhere. So it was already got it for me. I've already paid for it. Now my faith is moving on to the next thing. That's the way God operates. God is a spirit. So we've been taking a, a time to look at this and Today, I want to talk about kryptonite. Remember, we've been talking about action heroes. We're talking about uh, the, the action heroes that we grew up looking at, hearing, watching movies about, cartoons, reading comics, the whole thing. But the Bible is full of action heroes. Action heroes that have done way more supernatural things than any of the stuff that we read about. And here's the great thing about it. These guys are real. This stuff really happened. I mean, you can, you can make a comic book out of David and Goliath all you want, but that thing's a real deal. That happened in real life. And the great thing about it is that that stuff is still available today. And we said the first week that many people want great faith. I want, I want faith like Abraham. I want faith like David. How many of you want to go stand up in front of a ten-foot-tall giant? How many of you... Uh, want to take your child and put him up on an altar and say, all right, God, here you go. No. Well, many of us want great faith, but we resist the great trials that bring the great faith. And those tests and trials, that's the enduring of our faith. That's the producing of our faith. Remember I told you that faith is like a muscle. We've, we're all given a measure of it. But I wouldn't put my son Camden on the bench that I work out on. Okay? He's got muscles. i got muscles. What's the problem? But his just aren't developed as much. So we have to grow this thing. And we're living by faith. It is a life of faith. And so today I want to talk about kryptonite. I want to talk about the things that hinder faith. What are the things that get in the way? Every comic hero has a weak point. Every one of those guys, they all have something that can get them, that can bring them down. And if we're going to be living by faith, then we need to know what stops it. Paul said, we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant of the devil's schemes. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, most people's faith is not working, and it has nothing to do with the devil. I'll tell you that right now. There's a lot of things that we put on the devil, and we give him a lot of credit for that he's just not doing. We just either have some ignorance in an area that we need to grow in knowledge, or we just need to start applying something. That's all it is. So I want to bring some knowledge to faith because I know I, we, we could probably all raise our hands. I know I can. That there's something we believe God for and it didn't come to pass and we're thinking, well, what happened? Did God not come through? Did He not want me to have it? We have all these questions. We're wondering. And so we're going to look at one of the areas. This isn't all of them. But this is one of the main areas that if we can get this under wraps, we'll see a life of faith evident in our life. Turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. I'm going to give you a series of passages real quick. We're going to kind of bounce from a few stories here. I want to show you faith in action in the Bible, and then we're going to uh, move a little further in. All right? Mark chapter 2. Let's start with verse 1. And again he entered Capernaum after some days. This is Jesus. And it was heard that he was in the house. I love it just says, in the house. 
He's in the house somewhere. <laughs> Go find him. I mean, he's in Capernaum. He's in an entire city. And they were gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. What's Jesus doing? Building faith. Preaching the word. You notice these people didn't just have faith because he was just, hey, that's Jesus. He's got a halo on his head and... I mean, that's got to be the Son of God. No, He's preaching the Word. He's building their faith just like you and i got to build our faith. In fact, Jesus went to His hometown and couldn't do very many miracles because they were in doubt and unbelief. So you know what it says He did? He went through all the town teaching in their synagogues. Why? These people don't have any faith. So i got to build their faith. i got to let them know who God is. i got to let them know who, what God wants to do for them. Let's keep going. Verse 3. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now look at this in verse 5. This is awesome. Nobody has said a word to this point. They're just tearing off a roof. And look what verse 5 says. When Jesus saw their faith, That's what we were talking about last week. Did you know that faith is visible? That's what we said last week. People should see your faith before you ever open your mouth. You shouldn't even have to tell people, I'm believing God for this. They should know. You're in faith for that, aren't you? You're standing in faith about that. He saw their faith and he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now the thing I want to pull out there, Jesus saw whose faith? Their faith. It wasn't Jesus' faith that caused them to pull the roof off. It was their faith. Let's go to the next one. Mark chapter 5. A few chapters over. Mark chapter 5 and verse 25. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, faith being built, She came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, now she's activating some faith, if I only may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction of Jesus. Immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? Verse 31. But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. Verse 33. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him, told him the whole truth. Now look what Jesus says. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Whose faith? Her faith. Her faith. Mark chapter 10. So he sees four guys tearing off a roof, dropping down a paralytic man who can't do it himself. And he saw their faith. And then he said, because of your faith, you're going to be healed. Now look in Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 46. Now they came to Jericho, as he, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, 
sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise. He is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So what did he do? He threw off the garment. We've heard the story. Blind men, they carried this certain garment with them. Throwing that off was an act of faith for Bartimaeus. Because he was saying, I don't need this anymore. I'm about to go get healed. Acting in faith. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? Why in the world would he ask him such a silly question? <laughs> oh, I, I need money to pay rent this month. <laughs> Don't worry about my eyes. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. I've lived with that all my life. No, it's obvious what he needs. The blind man said to him, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Verse 52. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Whose faith? Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight. And follow Jesus into the town. One more. Matthew chapter 8. Are we seeing the pattern? Matthew chapter 8. Last one. Verse 5. This is one of my favorite stories. And when you understand the kingdom, this just really gets illuminated to you. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. He's speaking to a Gentile. He's speaking to a person that he did not even come to deliver at this time. Not even in Israel. Not even in the people. Not even in God's people. The people I've come to redeem and save. I had to go outside of that. I had to go to a man who's actually fighting in an opposition. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way as you have believed, so let it be done. The point I want to make here real quick is, you know, a lot of times we think of Jesus as the action hero. He's the superhero. He's the one that went out healing people, raising dead people. Uh, you know, blind people are seeing, deaf people are hearing, uh, leprosy's going away. Uh, we're talking tragic things. And we picture Jesus as a superhero, but every single one of these instances, he put it on the person. It was the person's responsibility to walk in faith. Now, why were they so able to walk in this faith that today today we don't see this stuff we don't see this stuff happening like it did with Jesus 
And there's a few variables that I want to hit on today that I want to show you. But the first point you have to understand that it is your responsibility to walk and operate in that faith. Nobody's going to do it for you. And Jesus, being in the flesh, put it on them. None of these people. He was able to say, as you have believed. Your faith, what? He saw their faith. He knew that they believed in him and he could do a miracle in their life. They did something to activate it. They're, they're, they're touching hems and they're throwing off cloaks. They're crying with loud voices. These people are activating and using faith. It was evident. So here's the thing. If it is up to us, if it is our responsibility to operate and walk in faith in our lives, then it's our responsibility to know what hinders it and what causes us to not walk in faith. That's the key. Most of us don't even know that it is our responsibility to walk in faith. They just think, well, if God gives me the faith, it is our responsibility to operate and activate that faith, but we also need to know what hinders it. What keeps it from working? What keeps it from taking place? Let's look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. If it is up to us to use faith, then it's up to us to know why it's not working. What's hindering it? In James chapter 1 verse 6, says, But let him ask in faith with no what? With no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Now this is written by a man named James, and he was a fisherman. If you remember Peter, James, and John, they were called by Jesus right off the ocean to be disciples. This is a man that knows a little something about waves tossing stuff around. But he was on the boat when Jesus had to step out on the edge and say, Peace be still. He was on that boat when Jesus came walking on the water and they were about to go under. He knows about these things. Verse 7, For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Verse 8, He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In all his ways. Notice it doesn't just say he's unstable in his prayer life. A lack of faith will, will make you unstable in everything. It will make you unstable in your worship to God. Because you don't really know that he's able to do what he says he can do. You don't really know that he is who he says that he is. It'll, it will cause you to stumble. It will cause you to be tossed to and fro. And he calls him... A double-minded man. So he's asking for faith with no doubting. Did you know that you can have faith and doubt? Yeah, because that's what makes you a double-minded person. Now, I'm going to tie this over with Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, if you'll go ahead and turn there. And Jesus has a lot to say about worry. Jesus has a lot to say about worry. Here's what doubt is. Let me just go ahead and give you a quick definition of what doubt is. Doubt means to be divided between two choices. There's a hesitancy. Doubt means that you have two options. There's two alternatives here. And I, one, of, one or the other could take place. Or I could operate in one or the other. That's what doubt is. Okay? Now, here's what faith is. Faith without doubting, this is what true faith is. True faith in God 
means that there are no other options. There are no other alternatives. That's what real faith is. God is going to heal me of this back pain and there is no medicine. There's no option. God is the one who will heal me. There's no doctor. There's no uh, prescription. There's no regimen that I could go on. God is my only alternative. He is my only option. Because what happens is, a lot of times, when we begin to walk in doubt, you're simply putting faith in something else. See, you're always believing something. I've heard someone say this, that uh, worry is temporary atheism. If you are worrying, you are temporarily saying, I don't know if there's a God, or I don't know if He can do what He says He can do. Just for that moment, because if God really is God, and if God really is who He says He is, and He can do what He really says He can do, there would be no worry. There would be no alternative. There would be no option. Now, we're we're taking a step here. I'm calling some people out now. We're we're taking a step. We're, We're moving. Because this is faith. Now, I'm not saying that you're not in faith because these thoughts always try to come against us. But the question is, how do you react or how do you respond? That's the question. Look at this in Matthew chapter 6. True faith in God means there are no alternatives. There are no options. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry. There's no option here. Don't worry all the time. Uh, Sometimes, you know, try not to worry. He says, do not worry. Period. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Which of you, by actually taking on this extra thought process and going through alternatives and going through options, actually adds to your life? Is what he's saying. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the rules of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows the things that you have need of. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. He's saying take it one day at a time. He's saying I've got your 24 hours covered. That's what he's saying. I've got you covered for 24 hours. If it's beyond that, then you don't even need to give a thought to it. Because we'll take care of that when it comes. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, here's what we need to understand. Doubt takes place in the heart. We'll see this a little later in uh, Mark chapter 11. Doubt takes place in the heart. 
Worry takes place in the mind. Worry is the product of doubt. Doubt in God automatically produces worry. Every time. Every time. If you place doubt in God on a certain situation, worry is the end result. So, here's what we need to look at. What is worry? Worry, the actual definition, and some of my Kingdom Institute people over here might remember, worry means to be divided. It means to be distracted. And it means to be preoccupied. Worry means to be divided. It means your mind is in two different places. Does that sound familiar? James chapter 1 verse 6, a double-minded man. Okay? It means to be distracted. It means you're not focused on the task at hand. It means to be preoccupied. It means I should be on this, but I'm over here dealing with this. And that is what Jesus was dealing with in this chapter. Here is what, here's basically what Jesus is saying in this instance. He's saying, my Father has placed you on the earth to seek the kingdom. Instead, you have found yourself distracted and preoccupied by seeking the world. By seeking what we eat, by seeking what we drink, by seeking what we wear, by seeking what we live. This is, these are all the things. This is why, if I asked anybody in this room, why do you have a job? Well, it's to put food on the table. It's to pay the bills. It's to pay the AC. It's to pay the electric company. It's to pay the mortgage. It's to pay my car payments. And Jesus is saying, you've become preoccupied. You've become distracted. And so now worry has crept in. If you just seek the kingdom, then you're no longer distracted. You're no longer preoccupied. And you'll find that my Father will actually take care of all that stuff behind you. Now, I'm not telling everybody in this room to go quit your jobs tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. If a man don't work, man don't eat. But we've got to put things back in perspective here. And so Jesus is saying, quit being distracted with all those things. Make kingdom influence where you're at. And you'll see that provision will be added, will run you down. The word added means you did nothing for it. If I go over to Van's house and do some yard work for him, and then at the end of the day he comes out and says, "Hey, I just, just want to bless you with this with this hundred dollars. Just want to bless you. Know, I just felt right on my heart." I'm thinking, "Okay, but I actually did something for you. You told me you were going to pay me a hundred dollars if I did this yard work. You're not blessing me." But if he just comes up to me and says, "Hey, I just want to bless you. I just want to bless you with this," and I haven't done a thing for it, that's added. That's what that word means. Added. Means your paycheck's not added to you. You have worked for that. And that is the income that you get from that. And so Jesus is saying, you have become distracted. In essence, he's saying this, that worry is a life distracted by the natural world around us. Now, this is very easy. This is very simple because... It's what we live in. It's what we see. All of us probably right now have some idea of what is in our bank account. We probably have some idea of what we need to pay within the next week before the end of the month. If you own a business, you're probably thinking about that too. 
You probably have an idea of what your car payment is next month. You have an idea of what your, your bills are going to be. This is, these are regular thought processes. You have an idea of what's in your closet and if you need to do this or do that. Right? Here in just a little bit, we're probably all going to be taking thought to what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink. Okay? These are all natural thought processes. This is what we live in in the day to day. But again, a life of faith is about living in the supernatural and watching the spirit realm change the natural realm. That's why he said, I'm not moved by what I see. Because that's not the real thing. This is the real thing. I just need to make a transfer. Remember we were talking about transfer the first week. A lot of people are trying to transfer money out of an account they haven't put anything into. Faith is how you build up that account. I mean, right now I have a checking and a savings. And if I only have 25 in the savings and I go in there and try to transfer 100, it ain't happening. And a lot of us, we're trying to pull out what we're not even putting in. We're trying to withdraw from a, a realm that we haven't given anything to. That's why Jesus said, uh, you know, his disciples were having trouble casting out a, a demon out of a demon-possessed boy. And he came down and he called, he, you know, just like he always did, oh, you have little faith. I mean, just think about being his disciples. Like, okay, give me a break, Jesus. I'm not the Son of God. Oh, me of little faith. I don't walk on water, I don't raise dead people. And so they're over there trying to cast the thing out. And he said, some of this only comes by prayer and fasting. What are you saying? You're not even spending time with your Father. He's saying, you want to you have faith in God? Commune with Him. Hang out with Him. A lot of us don't have any confidence in what God can do because we haven't really taken the time to look at what He can do. We know the stories and we see all that, but we don't see, we, we, we forget the verses that say that He hears us when we pray. We have this confidence that all of our, our needs are met according to His riches. We, these things, we have to meditate on these things. Then when the, when the trial comes, then we know we can go back to God's Word. That's what Abraham did. That's what David did. What did David tell Saul? I can take him because he's delivered me from the lion and the bear. He had a reason. Abraham knew he was going to deliver his son because he gave him his son. He knew he was going to give him a son because Abraham was obedient when he said, Go here. I'm not telling you where to go. Just go. He was obedient to go. That was his action. Put, a, put alongside faith. Last week we said, obedience is the reciprocating action to faith. How does faith have action? Just you obeying God's word. That's what a righteous person is. It's just someone that simply takes God at his word. So the only cure for worry, according to Matthew 6, verse 33, the only thing that's going to get worry out of you is what you seek. That's the only thing that will get worry out of you. He, his answer for worry is seek first the kingdom of God. Your faith is always built on what you seek. Your faith is always built in what you pursue. Case in point, a lot of us have a lot of faith in our jobs. Because that's what we pursue. That's what we seek. That's our job. That's what I do on a daily basis. I know that that is bringing home a paycheck every Thursday or every other Friday or 
once a month or however often you get paid. You have faith in that system. You believe in it. And you know it's not going to let you down. And if it does, you're surprised. That should be our response. Our response to the miracles and the things of God is, I'll be surprised if it doesn't happen. How many of you will be surprised if on your next payday you didn't get a paycheck? Nobody? Would anybody be surprised if, if you went to go get your paycheck and it wasn't there? You would be a little bit of shock. That's the way we should be. Oh, God's going to do that for you? Well, yeah, I'd be surprised if He didn't do it. I'd be surprised if He didn't heal me. I'd be surprised if He didn't show up. I'd be surprised if He didn't save my marriage. I'd be surprised if He didn't get me that job I've been waiting for. I'd be surprised if I don't move in that house in the next month. That's true faith. No alternatives. No options. There's no other way to go. God is going to come through. His Word says it. And we're stepping out on that. So, you build your faith in what you seek after. What is Jesus doing when He says, this is what you seek after? He says, make the kingdom priority. Place value on my kingdom. That's why He said, seek first. The funny thing about it is, if you would seek first the kingdom, you'll find that that's all the seeking you'll ever have to do. Isn't that awesome? If you seek first the kingdom of God, you'll find that you won't have to seek the money. You won't have to seek the the healing. You won't have to seek these things because since I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, and how do we seek the kingdom? Placing priority on Him. Reading His Word. Communing with Him. Talking with Him on a daily basis. And I don't mean just cut out your hour or two and pray. I'm talking throughout the day. A lot of people don't think they can't don't think that they can hear from God at the moment because they don't talk to God at the moment. See, if I get in my prayer closet and, you know, every night from seven to eight I'm in my prayer closet praying, then that's the only time I'm talking to God. So then I automatically build this thing up in my head, that's the only time I can hear from God. That's my conversation with God. It's like talking on the phone to someone. Well, I'm not going to hear Brandon unless I'm on the phone with him at that appointed time. But with my wife, I know that I can talk to her throughout the day. She's there. I can always, she's in the car with me. She's at home with me. She's up at the office with me. So now when I make a regular schedule, or a regular routine of just talking to God in the car, talking to God at Walmart, talking to God on the job, talking to God when I'm at home with the kids, then guess what? I can hear from God in the car. I can hear from God at Walmart. I can hear from God, hear from God at home with the kids. Now we've just expanded the whole conversation side. We know communication is not just one way. That's not much of a communication. It's not much of a relationship. Not much of a conversation if only one person is doing the talking. Look at this in Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. See, God put us on this earth with one concern, one thought process. Bring heaven to earth. Reestablish my kingdom. I sent my son, Jesus, to die on the cross to get you access back to the kingdom so now you can see the kingdom operate in your life. But we have, we, we've lost sight of that and we've become more focused on the seen than the unseen. This is a daily task. I'll tell you right now, you have to wake up every morning knowing I am going to look into the unseen today. I will not be moved by what I see. Daily basis. 
I mean, get the verse and print it out and put it on your dashboard and put it on your mirror and put it everywhere. Put it on your computer screen. That's what God wants us to be concerned with. He's saying, get back to seeking first the kingdom. Now look at this in Mark chapter 11, verse 22. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. In who? God. So what's he saying? What you seek is where you put your faith. If you will seek God, then you will have faith in God. That's what he's saying right there. Have faith in God. Seek after God. Seek after the kingdom. Verse 23, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and what? Does not doubt in his heart. Doubt takes place in the heart. If you allow that doubt to show up in your heart, worry will show up in your mind. But believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Why is he saying to believe that you receive it when you pray? Because it's already available. Prayer is the asking. It's already available to you. Regardless of if you see it today or not, doesn't change the fact that you have it. And where a lot of us get beat is we don't believe that when we pray we have it. We believe that when we see it, we have it. So we're waiting for the healing to show up and it hasn't quite fully manifested and we're saying, and what do we do? You always keep asking for what you don't think you have. I remember Brother Hagin uh, used to say years ago, he says, I only ask God for something once. I spend the rest of the time thanking and praising Him for it. Because if, if I ask Van for a new jacket for Christmas, and he gets me the jacket, and then next year I say, hey Van, I would really like a new jacket for Christmas. Hey, when are you going to give me a new jacket for Christmas? Well, I already got you one. What should I be doing? Thanking Him for it. Thank you for that jacket that you bought me last Christmas. Thank you. I praise you. I worship you. No, not really. But with God, you thank Him. You praise Him. You worship Him. What do you do now? You put yourself in a posture. Look, if, if I'm only able to praise and thank God for things that I can see tangibly right now, then, then our, our faith is very limited. Our, our faith is not at the level that it should be. In fact, I have to question if there's really any faith there because faith only operates in what you can't see. Period. I like what I heard one minister say. He said, as soon as you, as soon as you receive in the natural what you've been believing God for, He's already moved on to the next thing. He's already saying, all right, what's the next thing we're moving in faith for? Because God is a spirit, and so the only way He operates is in the unseen realm. Once you have it, he's saying, all right, let's go to the next. Let's get your faith for the next thing. And he wants to build that faith. We have a hard time believing, we'll have a hard time believing God to heal us from cancer if we can't believe that he can heal us from a headache. we got to build that. God, I know you can do this. I know you can get me $10, so now I know you can get me $100. 
And now I know, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen uh, pastors, ministers, that have grown in their faith in that arena, and they thought they would never be able to believe God for $10,000. But because they believed God for 100 because they believed God for 500 because they believed God for 1000 He came through every time, now we're building our faith in that thing. Tell you, David would not have gone towards Goliath with such confidence if he hadn't been hanging out with him as a shepherd boy. If he hadn't seen what God had done for him back in the field. That just doesn't show up on people. In the cartoons and in the comics, sure. They get bit by a spider or they drink some crazy thing or whatever. But in the supernatural, you have the faith. We just have to work it. We have to build it. We have to exercise it. That's the life of faith. The life of faith is always exercising that faith. So, we want to get rid of that doubt. That doubt is what hinders our faith. That doubt will shut it down every time. How do you know if you're in doubt? You're probably worried about it. Because worry is the product. Worry always follows doubt. If I don't believe that God can do what He says He can do, then I'm going to be worried about the situation that's at hand. I'm going to hear the doctor's report and I'm going to have worry. I'm going to look at the bank account and I'm going to be worried. I'm going to be concerned. And you just have to, you just have to make the choice, I will not worry. I will not be preoccupied. I told this to someone, and you've heard me say it before, that confusion comes when you lend your ear to too many voices. If I'm only listening to one voice, I can't really be confused about much. If, only, if I only have one way to see this thing, when you make God your only alternative, when you make Him your only option, there's no other way it can happen, then you, there's not much to be confused about. There's not much that's distracting you. There's not much that you're preoccupied with because you're just focused on the one thing. God said it. I believe it. It's going to happen. It settles it. You know, I heard a minister, you know, he, he preaches the kingdom and he said, really it's just God said it and that settles it. Because he's the king and it is that way. But the problem is, is we're not seeing it in our lives until we walk in faith on those words. Until we apply faith and activate faith. So how are we making faith evident? How are we showing? What are we putting off? Do people know what we're believing God for? Do people, do people can people see it? We've got to apply that faith. We've got to activate that faith. Every single person that I showed you, I mean, that Roman centurion, he went out on a limb in front of a lot of people. says there was a multitude. As a Roman centurion, you're going to look real stupid if you, tell, if you say, Jesus, don't bother coming to my house, just say it, and it doesn't happen. Now, we looked at that in the Bible, that those guys, they did a lot of stupid things. Noah, Abraham, Daniel, David. And we have to be willing to take those actions. We have to be willing to go that far with our faith in activating it and applying it in our lives. Applying God's Word. We've got to be willing to take those steps. And when it becomes evident, that's when Jesus started moving. And then He said, Your faith has made you whole. That means they become the action hero. Jesus was just the supplier. 
Jesus was the conduit. Jesus was the one that the power flowed through. But all in all, it was their faith that moved him. Faith is the only thing that moves God. If we're not operating in faith, he's not being moved. In fact, the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. I want to be pleasing to God. I don't want to be unpleasant to him. I don't want him to look at me and say, that that doesn't please me. I want to be in faith. That is the only thing that moves God. And if you're only finding yourself excited and praising and thanking him for things that you already have, he's already moved on to what he's waiting to put into your hands that's not there yet. He's there. And he's saying, all right, we got that covered. Let's, let's get this. Let's focus on this. I said a couple of weeks ago that God's design and God's plan for your life will always require you to be in faith. Period. He has not designed your life and He has not given you a plan for your life that you can do on your own. Go ahead and get that through. If He's got a plan for your life and you're thinking, oh yeah, I can do that, then we might need to take a, a further step out there. There should be something within us that says, naturally, there's no way that could happen. There's no way I could afford that. There's no way I would qualify for that. There's no way. God wants to show Himself off in the earth through you. And it's by faith. That's when He gets the glory. When you make things appear in the natural that are not there. They're in another realm. And you make that transfer. You make that move. That switch. It's subject to change. And it's waiting on us. This realm, this natural realm, is waiting on us to live by faith and to make those things appear. To make that transfer, to bring those things out of an unseen realm into a seen realm. That's what pleases God. Right now, uh, Chase, if you'd come up for me, please. Right now, there's probably things in your life that you're thinking, yeah, he's called me to do that, and I just haven't applied the faith. I just haven't activated the faith. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've, I've lived comfortable. I lived in what I know I'm capable of doing. And we're all susceptible to that. We're all susceptible to that. And you know, there's that fight of faith that when you, when you win the battle, you kind of forget about the war. And you just kind of get excited about that. It's like, yeah, God did it. And then you just kind of sit back. But God's always moving us. The Bible says He's moving us from faith to faith. He's moving us from faith to faith. He's wanting to do things in your life that you have put the limitation on, not Him. And again, I told you in the beginning that there's things that happen in our lives and there's things that stop us and the devil really has no part in it. It's just us. Then we head bowed and we eye closed. If, if that's you, if you can think of something in your life that He's called you to move towards, If there's something, there's a plan and it's requiring you to step out. And you may have even tried to justify it and say, well, you know, I'm waiting on His timing. We want to be sensitive to that, but there's times where we even try to justify things and try to roll it out and say, well, you know, I'll get confirmation. Or whenever, whenever He shows me. Whenever He reveals that. And he's saying, I have showed you. Now I need you to be obedient and step out on my word. And that will sustain you. That will get you through. If you can think of that right now, I want you to pray this prayer with me. 
Everyone out loud, I want you to pray this. Father, I thank you that you are developing my faith in you. I don't want to put faith in anything else. I want you to be my only option. From this day forward, I commit to be obedient to your word. That makes me righteous. And you said, the righteous will live by faith. So I apply faith in that area right now. I will get in your word. I will build my faith. And I will be obedient. Because obedience is the action that follows faith every time. And I thank you for it right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Your word is powerful. Father, I thank you that it cuts to our hearts this morning. I thank you that we find ways to apply your word, to live by faith even this week. That no dream, no plan is too small. It doesn't have to be great and huge and and blow people away. But you know what it is that takes us just a little bit out of our comfort zone. You know what it is that goes just past what we think our limitations are. And Father, I thank you that this week we take steps to be obedient. To apply that word in our lives. And we will see this life of faith be productive. People around us will say, what is it? How can you be so confident? How can you be so bold? How can you put so much trust? And it will be a sign to others. It will show those around us how real you are. That's why we're here. To let you be glorified through us. It's not about us. It's not about, look what I believe for. Look what I, look what I uh, had faith for. It's about showing you off. It's about glorifying the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And we thank you that we are stronger, become effective and productive for the kingdom of God because we apply it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hallelujah. That's a good word. Amen. Amen. Well, for our ushers at this time.